Section 11 of Guelphs and Ghibellines by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 9. The Duke of Athens, Joanna of Naples, Rienzi, Part 2. In order to preserve something like a chronological order in this narrative, we must now turn our attention to the affairs of Naples and Rome, especially in connection with two very striking personalities, Joanna of Naples and Cola de Rienzi. Charles, Duke of Calabria, who died in 1328, fifteen years before his father, Robert of Naples, left two daughters, Joanna and Maria. They were betrothed at a very early age to their two cousins, Louis and Andrew, princes of Hungary. These were the sons of Caroberto, or Charles Robert, King of Hungary, who was son of Charles Martel, King of Hungary, elder brother of Robert, King of Naples, both being sons of Charles II, and grandsons of the original Charles of Anjou. Louis betrothed to Maria afterwards became Louis the Great, King of Hungary, and does not now concern us. Andrew, betrothed to Joanna, was brought to Naples to be educated in 1322, being then seven years old, his future bride being two years younger. On January 16, 1343, King Robert died at the age of eighty. He had been deeply affected by the death of his son Charles, and since that event had shown little energy for affairs. The crown passed to his granddaughter Joanna, then sixteen years of age, whilst her husband, Andrew, a thorough Hungarian in birth and habits of living, was only eighteen. The court soon became the scene of the most appalling horrors, and to understand them we must enter into complicated details of family history. Besides Charles Martel of Hungary, Robert of Naples had two brothers, Philip, Prince of Tarentum, and John, Duke of Durazzo. The second wife of Philip was Catherine of Valois, daughter of Charles of Valois, and Empress of Constantinople. Philip had died some ten years before, and Catherine's eldest son was Louis of Tarentum. This lady was the evil genius of Joanna. She urged her on to wicked courses, and did her best to sow dissension between her husband and herself, in the hope of advancing her own son, Louis, to the succession. The young Andrew did not like to be in an inferior position to his wife. He had in his own person some claims to the throne of Naples, as his grandfather Charles Martel was elder brother to Robert, and the male line of Robert was now extinct. He therefore claimed to be crowned king by the side of his wife, and he attempted to get the Pope Clement VI to confirm his pretensions. In fact, Clement acknowledged Andrew and Joanna as legitimate sovereigns of Sicily in January 1344, and sent Cardinal Emmerich to govern the kingdom. Joanna did homage to the Cardinal in the Church of Chiara, and confirmed the agreements entered into by the founder of her line. Still, the adherents of Andrew formed an Hungarian party in the court, in opposition to the Neapolitan party. The Hungarian party was strengthened by the visit of Queen Elizabeth of Hungary, the mother of Andrew, and by the marriage of Maria, Joanna's sister, who had been betrothed to Louis of Hungary, to Charles, son of John of Durazzo. 
the Durazzo princes took the Hungarian side in the dispute, and the Tarento princes the Neapolitan. Andrew fell by his own folly. He anticipated the certainty of victory, and he bore in his shield the device of an axe and a block to intimate the vengeance which he intended to take upon his enemies. Catherine of Valois was greatly assisted in her intrigues against Andrew by a Florentine, Niccolo Acciaggiuoli, a man of about thirty-five years of age who had come to Naples on matters of business, but was now devoted to the family of Tarentum. Andrew was lured to Aversa by the conspirators under pretense of a hunting party. He and Joanna were sleeping together in the convent of Murano on the night of September 18, 1345, when the assassin summoned him from the room in haste. He was seized, but extricated himself, and attempted to return to his bedchamber for arms, but the door had been locked behind him. He defended himself for a long time and cried for help, but at length a cord was thrown round his neck, and he was strangled and hung from the balcony of the wall over a garden. A Hungarian maid who heard his cries came just too late to save him, but she roused the monks of the convent, who placed the king's body in their church, whence it was afterwards removed to Naples by the help of Charles of Durazzo. The queen remained quietly in bed, and did nothing to prevent the murder. Just a year afterwards she married her cousin, Louis of Tarentum. Louis, king of Hungary, Andrew's brother, prepared to avenge his fate, and wrote to Joanna in the language of his country, Johannes inordinata vita praeterita ambitiosa continuato potestatis regiae neglecta vindicta et excusatio subsecuta te viri tui necis arguunt consciam et fuisse participem joanna the disorders of your past life your ambitious continuance of the royal authority after marriage your slackness in exacting vengeance, and the excuses you have made for yourself, all prove that you were an accomplice and a participator in your husband's murder. Towards the end of 1345, Joanna bore a son, Charles. Louis recognized it as the legitimate offspring of his brother, and demanded that it should be brought up in Hungary. At the same time, he asserted his own claim to the throne of Naples, and prepared to support it by force of arms, the fortunes and the issue of his enterprise we must defer for the present. The condition of Rome during the absence of the Pope at Avignon had been deplorable. It was torn asunder by factions, in which the great families of the Colonnas and the Orsini played the principal part. The people of Rome were represented by the Capi Rioni, the heads of the seven Rioni regiones, or wards into which the city was divided. At the head of them, stood the prefect and over both people and nobles was the senator of rome who was appointed by the pope this office was held for a long time by king robert of naples pope succeeded pope but there was no improvement in the state of things in thirteen sixteen clement v was succeeded by john the twenty second in thirteen thirty four john the twenty second by benedict the twelfth in 1342, Clement VI was elected, and in 1352, Innocent VI. 
at each election the pope was vainly asked by his roman subjects to leave france and return again to his desolate and widowed city the historian may wonder that rome had not before this time proclaimed itself a republic and thrown off the yoke of the nobles of the pope and of his foreign representatives at last a man arose who was able to give effect to aspirations of this kind niccolo di lorenzo generally called cola di lorenzo the son of a tavern-keeper and a female water-carrier was one of the deputations sent to avignon in thirteen forty two to congratulate clement the sixth on his election to the papal see although the poet petrarch was one of the party cola was put forward to speak and he described the desolation of the city and the robberies of the roman nobles in such eloquent and elegant latin that clement was astonished clement was struck by the ability of the young man he appointed him apostolic notary and ordered him to proclaim a jubilee in thirteen fifty similar to that which boniface had proclaimed fifty years before rienzi had studied as a youth the authors of antiquity especially those that dwelt on the glories of the roman republic livy seneca cicero and valerius maximus he saw clearly the presence of present evils but he was less acute in discerning the necessary means of reformation however by his enthusiasm and eloquence he got together a number of followers and made them swear upon the gospels that they would give their help in the establishment of roman liberty on may thirtieth thirteen forty seven he took advantage of the absence of stefano colonna from the city to summon the people to the capital and to make them an address raimundo bishop of orvieto the papal vicar was at his side three banners floated before him that of rome signifying liberty st paul signifying justice and st peter signifying concord and peace he proclaimed a new constitution the chief object of which was to secure the people against the tyranny of the nobles each rione was to have a guard of twenty-five cavalry and a hundred infantry the bridges and gates of the town were to be fortified the nobles were to destroy their castles public granaries were to be erected alms collected for the poor a better justice administered to the people these ordinances were received with enthusiasm and rienzi as we shall now call him was invested with the title of tribune and with supreme authority to carry them out stefano colonna hastened back but was prevented from entering rome and took refuge at palestrina the rest of the nobles were driven out rienzi then proceeded to pacify the country and gradually one by one the nobles came in and took the oath upon the gospels to cooperate in the preservation of the buono stato rienzi sent ambassadors to the pope at avignon to inform him of what was being done and the poet petrarch strongly supported him the roads were free from brigands the catholic world was invited to the jubilee of thirteen fifty the tribune further sent missions to the towns of lombardy of campania of romagna of tuscany to the doge of venice the lords of milan and ferrara the prince of naples the king of hungary to the pope and the two rival claimants to the imperial throne to announce the establishment of order and to summon them to a general congress at rome to discuss the affairs of europe his messages were generally well received and thirteen towns sent ambassadors to rome 
but his head was not strong enough to stand such an elevation he gave himself up to all kinds of extravagances and assumed the airs and honours of royal state the readiness with which nearly all the towns and princes of italy accepted his authority is only another instance of what has been before remarked the eagerness to clutch at any relief from the weariness of political disappointment at length the absurdities of the tribune culminated in the ceremony of august first when he had himself proclaimed with a wonderful ritual candidate of the holy ghost he spent large sums on personal luxuries and had the arrogance to summon the pope and the rival emperors to his tribunal he prepared to execute all the refractory nobles and then solemnly forgave them these nobles as soon as they were free betook themselves to their castles and prepared for war the colonna and orsini ancestral enemies were united in common opposition to their common enemy the colonna were repulsed in a hasty attack on the city cola was more elated than ever and took no pains to follow up the advantage he had gained the orsini were pressing upon rome from the north at length the legate of clement the sixth bertrand de dreux arrived in rome and declared against the tribune count pitrino of altamura a partisan of king andrew of naples who was living in rome took the same side rienzi in vain tried to rouse the people to arms he summoned them to the capital but his eloquence and tears had no effect at length he said after having governed you for seven months i am about to lay down my authority he traversed rome on horseback as if in triumph and shut himself up with his wife in the castle of st angelo the barons did not dare to enter rome until three days had elapsed eventually rienzi escaped into the neapolitan territory and rome returned to its previous condition of anarchy End of section 11